Happy Resurrection Sunday to all of you here. We're excited to uh, see you here and, and to have our kids in here as well. I want to begin by asking you a question. How many of you enjoy the study of history? Who likes studying history or just watching the, any history channel nuts in here? Okay, a few of you. Well, when I was in seminary, one of my favorite courses in seminary was Christian history. And though there's a lot of reasons to study history and enjoy the study of history, one of the reasons I enjoyed it so much is because studying Christian history showed me all of those things, the many things that I take for granted. For example, having a Bible in my own language, having a church on every street corner in my hometown. I didn't think much about those things when, uh, uh, before I took that course, but, but until I began hearing stories about the men and women who had put their lives on the line and, and even some who have given their lives so that I could have the Bible in my own language and a church in my hometown. It was only then that I truly began to appreciate it. Studying these things were beneficial to me spiritually because studying Christian history showed me the work that God has been doing in and throughout His world, throughout history. Studying the whole story gave me an appreciation, a greater appreciation for who God is and His work in our world. This morning we're going to do something a, a bit unique for Easter, as you can tell already, because I'm already up on stage, in that we are going to tell the whole story of Easter. We're going to begin at the, at the beginning, and we're going to look at the events prior to Christ coming to earth that will help us better understand why He came to earth. And not only that, we're also going to look at Christ's earthly ministry, and we're going to talk about what He accomplished for us through the life he lived and through the death he died. And we're also going to discuss his resurrection and why this event is so important for us and so important for the Christian faith. And then to end, we're going to talk about how these events, his death and, and resurrection, what they mean for us today and what they mean for the future of his church. And my prayer for you this morning, as we discuss the whole story of Easter, as I give you just a brief biblical history lesson this morning, my prayer for you is that you too would have a greater perspective. You would leave here with a greater perspective and a greater appreciation for who God is and what He has done to save us. Okay? So we're, 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 we're gonna, it's going to be a little unique this morning. And one of the ways it's going to be unique is that you are going to be involved in this message in a very big way. What I've done this morning is I have divided this sermon up into four parts, or four chapters. And I'm going to preach this sermon in parts, and then I'm going to break, and our praise band is going to lead us in a response song that we are going to sing in reply to what we've just heard. So it's going to be a bit unique, but I, I really hope that you enjoy it. I pray that this would just be a worshipful time for you and for your family, and I pray especially that God is honored and glorified in this place this morning. 
So let's begin by talking about chapter 1. Chapter 1 is entitled Creation. We are going to begin at the very beginning of the story. Creation is where the story begins. Listen to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's something very important about verse 1 of chapter 1. The story begins with God. That is very, very important. The Bible begins talking about God. It begins with God. And it also explains to us that, that He was before all things and everything that exists comes into existence because God created it. Therefore, everything, without exception, is contingent upon and dependent upon God. This is very important. In Genesis 1, we're also told about the different days of creation and what God creates on the different days. And according to the Scriptures, the highlight of God's creation, the apex of God's creation, comes on day 6, when God creates people. Take a look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, up on the screen. Then God said, Let us make man in our image. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heaven, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. See, we discover here in this verse of Scripture that we as human beings are very significant. And the reason why we're significant is because God has made us that way. God has created each and every one of us in His likeness, in His image. And what that means is, you and I, we are more like God than any other created being. Because God has created us that way. Not only has God created us like, like Himself, not only has He done that, he, is, he has created us for Himself. You see, God has created you and me as relational beings. Because God is a relational God. We were created to live in relationship with God and in relationship with one another. In fact, at the beginning, we're told, the, the only time we're told in creation that things are not good is when man is alone. Isn't that interesting? The only time God says it's not good is when man was, is without a companion. And then he creates woman to be with man. And then what does God say? He says, it's very good, right? God created us to exist in relationship with him and with one another. And that's the way God intended things to be in the very beginning. And you know what? Back in the day, man related to God in the right way. Man recognized God is my God, God is my creator, God is my king, and man related rightly to God and lived rightly for Him. Not only that, man and woman lived in right relationship with one another. I know it's hard to believe, but there was a time when that took place, and it was at the very good beginning. Things were just right. They were just good. When's the last time you had a really good day? 
Think about it. Some of you, it's tough to think back that far, isn't it? What has to, what has to fall in place for you to have a good day? For me to have a good day, there are several things that have to happen. One, I need to have a good night's sleep the night before. That's a must. And then I need to have time spent in God's Word. I need that for the day. A good day for me also involves some work. A feeling of, of being productive. But not only that, I also need rest and relaxation after a good, productive day. Also, a good meal's needed, right? Maybe two. And one of the most important things that I need is time spent with the people I love, with my wife and with my girls and sometimes with my friends as well. I mean, if these fall into place, if all of these things happen, it's going to be a great day. You ever had just a great day? Thought to yourself, I wish every day could be like that day. You ever have that? Guess what? That's just a glimpse of what things were like in the beginning. Back in chapter 1, things were just right. They were good. Man related to God in the right way. Man related to one another in the right way. Man lived under God's authority. Man recognized he's God. He's king. He's created me in his image. He's created me with a purpose, and that purpose is to know him, to love him, to serve him, and to worship him. That's the way things were in the beginning. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to stand here in a moment and we are going to sing a song that reflects chapter 1. That reflects the fact that God has created us for a purpose. And that purpose is to enjoy life, to know God, and to worship. He would stand. And my hope is, as you sing this song this morning, that you would think about man's very good beginning. That your thoughts would go back to the garden and that you would remember this is what we were created for to know and to worship God let's sing together on the seventh day of creation we're told that God rested and the reason why God rested was not because he was bored with his creation it was not because he was just worn out with creating and he needed to breathe it. It was because the day set the world was the world the way God intended it to be. We talked about in chapter 1, it was a world without sin. A world filled with nothing but good things where man and woman enjoyed perfect and unhindered fellowship with God and with one another. But unfortunately... Things did not stay that way, did they? In this chapter, we're going to be discussing the fall. So let's begin by looking at Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. In this passage, we're told, The Lord God took the man, and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. So, God created man, holy and happy in perfect relationship with himself, and he placed man and woman in this garden paradise. And he gives them one rule. 
He says, you can eat of all the trees in the garden but one, the tree in the middle of the garden. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, unfortunately, this is not the last time we hear about this tree, is it? Wouldn't it be great if it was, but it's not. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 5, we're told, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So Satan enters into the picture. And notice the first words out of his mouth, he twists the words of God. He said, did God say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? That's not what God said, was it? And he knew it. Eve said, no. He said we could eat of any of the fruit trees in the garden except for one. We can't eat of the one in the midst of the garden. Neither shall we touch it or we will die. And what does Satan say? You won't die. So Satan twists the words of God and then he challenges the integrity of the word of God. And that's the way he works. So Adam and Eve, they have a choice to make, don't they? And you know the rest of the story. They choose to obey the creature rather than the creator. And Eve eats of the fruit and gives it to Adam, and Adam gives in as well, and he eats of it. And as a result of this disobedience, sin enters into the world and wrecks God's perfect creation. That's the fall. And with the fall, as a result of the fall, come many consequences. As a result of the fall, you and I... We experience aging, illness, injury. Also, God's perfect world got messed up as well, didn't it? You see, God created us to rule over His creation as He ruled over us. And when we became rebellious and unruly toward God, what God did was He caused creation underneath us to become rebellious and unruly toward us. And that's the state of things in our world today. So there are a lot of consequences. But one of the most severe was what God promised Adam would happen if he disobeyed. He said, the day you eat from the tree, you will surely die. Death comes as a result of the fall. And it's not just a physical death that we experience. It is a spiritual death as well. See, many argue and say God didn't keep his word to Adam and Eve because they didn't die right away. Like he said, but that's not exactly true, is it? You see, though, they didn't die right away physically, even though that was in the works after they sinned. They did experience a spiritual death. That perfect, sweet, unhindered fellowship they enjoyed with God was immediately broken. And get this, this is so important. The reason why this event is so significant is because each one of us have experienced a spiritual death as well. You see, Adam was our representative. And as a result of his sin, his sin was transferred to us. Now, before you go blaming Adam for everything, you need to know we're not innocent. 
We are responsible for our sin. Scripture is clear. And each and every one of us, we have all repeated the very sin of Adam in that we have rejected God's rule and His reign in our life and we have chosen to go at life on our own. And you know what? As a result of this sin, we have been separated from the benefits of God and God's wrath, we're told in Scripture, has been set against us. And God's wrath has to be satisfied. It has to be satisfied. Now, here's the problem. We are unable, by our own power, to remove this sin problem in our lives and make ourselves right with God. That's an issue. Because God's wrath has to be satisfied. Therefore, we're in need, aren't we? We're in need. We're in need of something we do not have and something we cannot get on our own. So at this time, we're going to stand again. I want to ask you to stand and we are going to sing a song about our sinfulness and our need of a Savior. So let's review briefly what we've talked about so far. We began in chapter 1 talking about our very good beginning. Talking about the fact when God first created us, everything was right in the world. We enjoyed perfect, unhindered fellowship with with God and with one another, so, so everything was just good in the beginning. But then chapter 2 came, right? Sin enters into the picture and has devastating results. And the worst of those being that our sin, it separates us from the benefits of God and and sets God's wrath against us. But there's good news, isn't there? The good news is it doesn't end in chapter 2, does it? There is, in fact, a third chapter, and in this chapter, we're going to call this chapter salvation. In this chapter, God chooses to take the initiative and do something about this world that's been wrecked and ruined by sin. Many of y'all know the story, some of you don't. But before moving here to Jacksonville, when I was still in uh, Fort Smith, I was on a mission trip to Nicaragua, and midway through the trip, we received word that the front building of our church building caught fire and it burned to the ground. And we lost most everything in that building. And the leadership team, we got together and we had to make a decision. With the insurance money, do we take that money and do we rebuild right here where the church burned down or not? And of course, the church chose to rebuild right where that church burned down. And right now they're in the process of building a a new worship center. So they chose to rebuild and in a similar way, you know what? God had a choice. He could have left us in our broken and fallen state or He could make things right. And God chose to make things right again. God chose to step into this broken and fallen world that's wrecked by sin and chose to redeem it. And the way He chose to redeem it is through His Son, the Redeemer. Jesus did essentially three things for us to redeem this world. First, He was obedient. 
as I shared with you a moment ago about Adam. You know, Adam had a choice to make. And he chose not to relate rightly to God. He chose to disobey God and to go at life on his own. And as a result, sin entered into the world and ruined God's creation. But here's the good news. Where Adam sinned, Christ succeeded. That's why scripture, we, we read in Scripture, he's referred to as the second Adam. Because he succeeded where Adam failed. Look at Romans 5.18. Paul's talking about Christ here. Adam and Christ making a contrast here. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation, so one act of righteousness leads to justification. Christ is the second Adam. And through his perfect obedience, he lived in our place and, and, and gave us an opportunity to be made right with him. But not only was he obedient, the second thing Jesus did to redeem this world is he died for us on the cross. Like I've said earlier, the greatest consequence of our sin is death. Not only physical death, even though that's in there as well, but, but also a spiritual death. Now get this. This is so great what Jesus did for us. This is so amazing. Jesus came to earth and willingly took on and accepted and experienced the greatest consequence of sin for us. That's what he did. He went to the cross and he died for us. But not only did he die for us, he took on the sins of the world for us. Not only did Jesus die for us, he experienced the wrath of God in our place. Now, we don't often talk about this, even though we need to. Like I said earlier, when we sinned against God, God's wrath was set against us. And God's wrath had to be satisfied. Now, where is God's wrath satisfied? At the cross. We're going to sing in a few moments a song called In Christ Alone. And there is a line in that song that is so great. It says, on the cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God is satisfied. And that's exactly what happened at the cross. See, a great exchange took place for us. And Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Listen to this. For our sake, God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Now get this, this is so great. You're going to see the wisdom of God in this. A great exchange took place at the cross. At the cross, God the Father put our sin on Christ. And He held Christ responsible for that. And He punished Christ in our place. But also, there's another part of that transaction and it's this, that, that God, what He did in return is He applied Christ's righteousness to you and to me. To all those who trust in Him for salvation. When I was in college, and I was in a financial bind, at times my dad would help me out. He had access to my bank account, and sometimes he'd put a little money in there just to, just to help me out when I was in a bind. And even though I definitely didn't deserve that money, and it wasn't mine to begin with. When my dad put it into my account, it became mine. And that's what Jesus did for us. You see, when you're forgiven, God doesn't overlook your sin. God doesn't sweep your sin under the rug. He couldn't do that and be just and be righteous. What, what God does is when you trust in Christ for your salvation, He looks at you as if you never sinned. 
wow. And the reason why he can do that is because he has taken Christ's righteousness, when you trust in Christ, and he applies it to you. Therefore, when he looks at you, he no longer sees a broken, wicked, and condemned sinner. He sees Christ. He sees his goodness, his love, his obedience, and his righteousness. That's what Jesus did for us at the cross. He died for us. Third, Jesus rose from the grave. And this is what Easter Sunday is all about, isn't it? It's the reason why we're here. We're celebrating the fact that though Jesus was, died and was buried, He didn't stay there. The tomb says that... The scriptures say that the tomb could not hold Christ. And the reason why the tomb could not hold Christ is because of who He is. Because of who He is. When God raises Christ to life, what he's doing is he is making a public announcement of who Jesus is. He is saying, this is my son. I approve of his person and work. That's what God's doing by raising Christ to life. And you know what? God does that throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, doesn't he? You remember when Jesus is baptized, what does God say? This is my son. I am pleased with him. And he's doing the same thing at the resurrection as well. <clears throat> By raising Christ to life, what God is saying here is, this is my Christ. This is my son. I approve of the work that he has done on behalf of my people and what he's done on behalf of me. That, that's, that's, what, that's what he's saying. Now, many so-called Christians, they question the need for a resurrection. Some of you may have watched some A&E specials this week. It does that. I've seen a few with the folks from the Jesus Seminar. They, they, they say, I don't believe Jesus really rose from the dead, and I don't really think it's necessary. Well, here's, there's, only, there's a little problem with that, and, and here's what it is. Scripture. It's not scriptural, is it? Scripture says that, that the resurrection is central to our faith. The resurrection is everything. Everything hinges on the resurrection. You take away the resurrection, you have no Christianity. Did Paul not say that? 1 Corinthians 15, 14. That's pretty clear right there. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. In other words, your faith is useless if Christ has not been raised. I heard a pastor say this once, and it's so good. If Jesus never rose from the grave, nothing really matters. But if he did, that's the only thing that matters. And he did. That's so true. The resurrection is key. It's central to our faith. It means everything for us. If Christ has not been raised, you and I, we can't experience what Scripture calls the new birth. Being born again like what, what Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about. Because Christ has been raised, you know what? We are able to die to our sin and be raised to walk in newness of life and live for God. The resurrection makes that possible. Through Christ's resurrection, He earned for us a new life like His. At this time, once again, we're going to stand. I'm going to have you stand now. We're going to sing this song about the person and work of Christ. And let me challenge you this morning to do this. As you sing this song this morning, 
Sing it victoriously. Sing it victoriously as you think about all that Christ has done for you. Let's sing. We said earlier, normally on Easter, we focus on the resurrection, and that's it, right? Resurrection from the dead, and that's it. it, it it's rare that we normally tell the story, that, that we tell the story from the beginning like we've done this morning. And in the same way that it's rare that we tell the story all the way from the beginning, we normally fail to follow the story all the way through to the end. We say, he rose again, the end, let's go hunt Easter eggs. But there's another chapter. That's not the end. There's another chapter I'm going to tell you this morning, and it's chapter 4, and I've entitled this chapter, Restoration. This chapter is all about that future day. That day when God returns and restores things back to the way they were in chapter 1, except better. And the reason why they will be better is because in that future day, we are going to be following and relating to God, not only as our God, not only as our King, not only as our Creator, but as our Redeemer. Because of what He's done for us by sending His Son to die and raising Him from the dead. I spoke in the previous chapter about the importance of the resurrection. And, and one of the reasons it's important is because of what it means for us right here and right now. Because of the resurrection, you and I are able to die to our sin and be raised to walk in newness of life and live for God. But not only is the resurrection important for us in the present, it's important for our future as well. God raising Christ from death to life guarantees us that He's committed to chapter 4. That's very important that we realize that. He's committed to one day return and restore things back to the way they're supposed to be. And that also guarantees that you and I, we too are going to experience a resurrection. A physical, bodily resurrection from the dead. A time is coming when those who are in Christ will rise. And the reason why we know that is because Christ rose. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 14. We know, Paul says, that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with him. That resurrection assures us of our future resurrection. So on that day when the Lord returns, we too will stand again with Him. The same resurrection power that raised Christ is the same resurrection power that is going to raise all those who are in Christ. The same Spirit of God who raised Christ is the same Spirit of God who is going to raise all of those in Him to be with the Lord forever for all eternity. That's a guarantee. That's a guarantee. This resurrection, it assures us of our future resurrection. Now, there's a problem, isn't there? And the problem is this. We still very much live in a chapter 2 kind of world, don't we? I mean, when we look around, the world doesn't seem too redeemed, does it? It still seems very broken very ruined, very wrecked by sin. We still see sickness and, and, and death and sadness. There are times when we can say, wait a minute. 
This world looks, doesn't look too redeemed, even though we have this promise of a future restoration. Have you ever asked that question, God? If you're so committed to making things right, why do things look so wrong in the world? So it's important that we're, we're honest with ourselves, that the world in which we live is, is still very much broken and fallen. But get this, though this is the case, what we are celebrating this morning as Christians and as, as collectively as a church is that one day, those things are going to change. One day, things are not going to be the way they are today. Though today we experience sickness and, and sadness and, and death and injustice, what we long for as believers, what we are celebrating and what we are anticipating is that day when the Lord returns and restores things back to the way they're supposed to be and makes us and remove sin and death from our lives. When, when, when we leave this brokenness and this sinfulness behind and are made right with God. That's what we're looking forward to. Baseball season is getting geared up. And though I don't watch baseball as much now as I used to, one thing that I love about baseball is all the tradition that comes with baseball. And I love just watching the, the diehard fans and their, their passion and their love for the game. And any diehard fan... Any diehard fan familiar with baseball is familiar with the term sweep. And a sweep is when a team beats another team every time they play in a particular series. And what you'll notice is sometimes when fans go to the game and their team is one game away from a sweep, they'll bring their brooms with them. You ever notice them bringing their brooms? Yeah. And what they're doing when they're bringing their brooms is they're anticipating a sweep. What they're saying with these brooms is this. We are celebrating the victories that we have already had, and we are anticipating with great eagerness that we're going to have another victory very soon. Guess what? That's what we're doing today as believers. We got our brooms out. We are gathering together, and we are saying we are celebrating today the victory that has already been won for us, that has already taken place 2,000 years ago when Jesus came to earth, left the riches of heaven, took on flesh, lived the perfect life that we could never live, went to the cross and died, and rose from the grave and conquered death. We are celebrating that victory today that's already taken place. But you know what? We're also anticipating that day in the future when God returns and when we experience a resurrection from the dead and when things are made right and things are restored and things are redeemed to the way they're supposed to be. This is our story. This is the story of Easter. My prayer for you today, for those of you all in here that maybe this is not your story, I, I pray that it would become your story this morning. I pray this morning, if you are not trusting in Christ for your salvation, that this morning you would make this story your story. To do that, it's essential that you begin in chapter 1. That you begin with, with the fact that God created you for Himself. He created you to, to live in, in relationship with Him. He created you for Himself to know Him and to love Him and to serve Him and to worship Him.
You were made for him. But it's also important that you realize chapter 2 as well. That there's a problem. Sin entered into the world and it entered into the picture because of us. Though Adam was our representative and though he sinned against God, and through that disobedience, sin entered into the world, we are very much responsible as well, aren't we? Because we repeat the very sin of Adam day after day in that we reject God's rule and his reign in our life. And as a result of this sin, we have been separated from God. It's very important that you remember chapter 2. But you know what? It's also important, if you want to make this story your story, that you realize that chapter 3 has happened. That God, by His great love and grace, has chosen to reach out to us again through His Redeemer, the Lord Jesus. You can have the work that Christ has done, that we just sang about just a moment ago, you can have that applied to your life today if you would look to the cross, run to the cross, cling to the cross, and trust in the finished work of the Lord Jesus. I urge you this morning, if you're not trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, that you do so today so that you can celebrate with other believers in here that day that's coming in the future, this future chapter that's coming when God returns and restores things back to the way they're supposed to be. So make sure this morning that this story, this resurrection story, this Easter story is your story. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you just amazed at who you are. Father, that you who are infinitely greater than any thought of us would create us to live in relationship with you. Father, forgive us for our foolishness. Forgive us for trying to live life apart from you when you are the giver of life when you are the sovereign God of the universe, forgive us for trying to carve out a life for ourselves apart from you. Father, we thank you that though we don't deserve it, though we have sinned against you, God, we thank you that through your great love and your mercy and your grace, you have reached out to us again through your Redeemer. Father, I pray if there's anyone in here this morning who doesn't share this story, I pray that this story will become their story right here, right now. I pray that you would just do a great work in their heart and life and open their heart and life to you this morning. We'll give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.